Hi, and welcome to Stressed, the podcast to develop your stress resilience. Being ambitious and successful while living a happy life is possible. Learn how you can better cope with stress in day-to-day -day situations by applying tools and techniques that work for you. My name is Julia Arndt, and I'm extremely grateful that you decided to check out my podcast today. Let's get started. Hi, Corey. I'm super excited to have you on my podcast today. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Julie. <laughs> It's great to have you. Um, you're a speaker and coach, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But before we jump into all of the things, I want you to pick us up a little bit. So where are you located? What time is it? And what have you been up to this morning? Well, thank you again so much, Julia, for inviting me to the talk. We've got our podcast up at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time because I'm in Boise, Idaho. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess my morning routine kind of wakes up and gym. Got to go to the gym. Okay. And, and uh, typically like a healthy smoothie starts the day. Very nice. And that's what you did this morning as well? Yeah. And do you do that every morning? Try to. Wow. I definitely try to. Seven days a week? No, okay. No one does that. <laughs> Uh, over the okay. weekend, we, we did a quick trip to Tahoe to get some ski gear because snow oh, nice. is coming and winter's uh -huh. here. Uh -huh. Back to make sure you have all the right uh, supplies and gear. Yeah, very cool. And do you have any snow in Boise? Isn't there snow as well in the mountains in Idaho? Um, it does snow in mountain in Idaho. Uh, Boise will get a couple inches and then kind of melts away, similar mm. to a lot of like mountain towns that are in the valley. Mm. It's like Reno. Change. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Very cool. All right. So pick us up a little bit. If um, people hear about you for the very first time, who is Corey and who was Corey maybe five to 10 years ago? Oof. I think that's the hardest question a lot of us ask. When you hear someone, what do you do? Uh, when I worked for an investment firm, I would travel from Chicago, LA, New York to say, what do you do at these industry conferences? And say for fun, work or pleasure. And they totally disrupt the way they were thinking. And then some would say, well, I guess, what do you do for work? And so many of us define our lives off the work we do based off of title. Like, oh, I'm the mm -hmm. vice president of sales, or I'm the a program associate for XYZ. Mm -hmm. Okay, but who are you? And that, I think, is what real authentic speakers can do, is when they describe themselves, what's the actual question of, well, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Well, I do, I guess I do a lot of things. I, I speak, I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, I work with schools, I work with business owners. Uh, I've had the time, opportunity to raise capital for real estate developments and hedge funds and uh, a lot of private equity in helping small businesses learn to pitch to investors. And that's the question. When someone asks you, what do you do? Mm -hmm. You have to then think of your physical, kind of their physical persona of who they're, who's asking. Are they asking to know your title? Are they asking to know your income? Are they asking to know because they want to get to know you as a person? Mm -hmm. And then they're typically asking for an answer that serves what they're looking for. And I think mm -hmm. that's the difference. It's a little analytical when you're thinking in speech, but when someone asks, well, tell me about yourself, how authentic can you be? And you're on a stage and they say, well, tell us about yourself or give a talk. Well, who's my audience? What do they want to hear? Mm -hmm. I guess, Julie, what does your audience want to hear? Like, what do they What do they know? What do they, want to, what do they want to learn more of? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that my audience are a lot of people that work in tech and in consulting. Yeah. And I think what they are really interested in is how they can um, present really authentically and with um, a lot of conviction because what we have to do in the corporate setting is very often that we have to give like 
kind of small presentations or we have to give updates in like a team meeting or we have to present findings of a project to a leader. So there's actually a lot of presentation that is going on in the corporate context. And I believe that a lot of my listeners would be really interested in how can I be better at that? You know, how do I prepare for, for a presentation? And then how do I also um, give a really powerful presentation? Yeah, I think we've got so much neuroscience and research coming out that people are really feeling based. Mm -hmm. Same reason where you have people leaving jobs, the same reason when people have starting companies, because there's a feeling for something that they don't have right yet, but they can envision it. I think when you give a talk or you're giving a presentation or pitching a product or an, a project, product or a company, or even yourself, it's how do I convey a feeling by me feeling it and expressing it and being really open within myself, but also having the listener feel that. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the excitement when they feel involved, when they feel like they're listening and you see them at this edge of their chair and they're looking forward. Mm -hmm. Some people are turned off of it. And that's the tough part is like, when they see them sit back, maybe then you're giving up, you're giving too much. Mm -hmm. And I've been told this a number of times, like, Corey, you're just too much for a lot of people. Because mm -hmm. I hope you can hear my enthusiasm and maybe <laughs> see it. I'm like grinning at the ear because I, I believe this. I feel that this is what I've been called to do. And I've, I've been working with people in a lot of capacities on how they communicate. Mm -hmm. like any bad or positive thing in the world is due to the, either the due to communication or due to the lack of it. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn how to talk to each other. And when you're giving a talk, it comes back to how do I convey the feeling that I feel, the vision that I see, and I want you to feel and see that as well. Mm -hmm. And um, before we jump into a, a little bit more specific, like speaking related questions, I'm actually curious to share with the audience as well, what kind of trainings you went through, because um, you have mm -hmm. a really vast variety of personal development courses um, in your belt. And I think yeah. it's really interesting to hear about that as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about where did you learn how to speak and how to influence people and um, how to practice as well, maybe? I think that's a great question. I, at 19, so very start of it, at like in my early teens, like 12, 13, my mom would take me to these personal development conferences for real estate investing and taxes. So she runs a tax and accounting company in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And she had exposed me to personal development at a really young age. And then from then on, I just started listening to YouTube videos and other people. And really simply, she said, Corey, when you listen and learn from somebody, take what you want, leave what you don't. So I was very objective. She gave me this concept when I was like early teenagers years to look at something and say, do I aspire to be more like them? What do I like? How they? Do, how do I like? What do I like that they're doing, and what do I like about them? Because there's a lot of like character, and then there's a lot of action. Like, hmm, I like what you said, but I don't like how you did it. Okay, mm -hmm. leave that. Work off what they said and find a new way of doing it. And then at 19, I started working with a network marketing company, and it actually expanded the team across a number of states and did really well. And you get exposed to Jim Rowan as he's like the leading speaker in that uh, in that arena of network marketing multi-level kind of businesses. He's actually one of the leading trainers for Tony Robbins as well. Mm. And his view is that <laughs> your professional development is directly related to your personal development. Mm -hmm. So if you want more out of your work, you have to become more. And I think that's the coolest part where a lot of kids have lost that excitement about learning or a lot of professionals, but they become so good at what they're doing that they've stopped being better at it because they're already good at it. Mm -hmm. They're already moving up the ladder because of their experience or their past or their, the network they have. 
but they themselves aren't reflecting to progress. Mm-hmm. So without reflection, there's no progression. And eventually you'll stop learning from the same lesson. Yeah, that's really awesome. I love that actually. Um, all right, so let's uh, have a look here. I have a couple of questions prepared for you that we wanted to talk about. And um, one of the things that you said to me um, is that how do you speak so that other people listen? Tell us a little bit more about that. So that is that actual title, How to Speak So That People Listen, is the title for a TED Talk by Julian Treasure. And I've taken a little context because his main point is from the pronunciation to the volume, to the tonality, to the speed of your speech. And I had, was fortunate to date a, a speech coach as well who over the phone could tell I wasn't moving my lips. Mm. And talking about being very open to getting criticism from like your partner is this thing. Sweetie, I'd really like you to move your tongue when you speak. I was like, oh, wow, hey, you can hear that? She goes, yeah, you're just moving your mouth. But when people listen, they need to feel it. And the feeling comes from the movement of your lips and the full pronunciation and enunciation with your tongue, which is huh. a whole other way of learning. So like, I was always taking in this insight for personal development and off the topic of speaking so that people listen. One, it's how you say it. Two, it's what you're saying. I think three is the factor of who are they and what do they want to hear? Are they listening? And if so, at what tone and what volume or what speed can they process? Mm-hmm. I think those are the three factors for so that people can listen or how to speak so that people will listen. Mm-hmm. How you and, say it, what you say, and what are they, like, what are they hearing? Mm-hmm. And how do you know what people are hearing when you have maybe an audience that you've never presented or talked to before? Like, you know, how do you pick that up and how do you adjust in, in that already kind of stressful period of like, okay, already speaking in front of, you know, a bunch of people, maybe it's 20 people, maybe it's a hundred people, maybe it's a thousand people. Um, and then I see that they're not maybe really listening. Um, how do you adapt that in, in such a short period of time? Yeah, it's tough. We have to recognize that some people will get it. Some people won't, mm-hmm. but our objective of being in, on, in front of the stage or in front of the, the board is to convey a message that we know what we're talking about. And that goes into your credibility of mm-hmm. one, why they should listen, your vulnerability of how they can relate to you. And then that turning point of what are they going to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the investment world, there was a great marketer who said, there's three categories of buckets of people that people will listen to. And they've got a bucket of things I already know, things that don't interest me and things that I, I that are new. So there's a lot of novelty in that get people to listen where mm-hmm. I know this, I know this, but it's either how you said it, the, what you know that they don't, and or are they in the time to accept it? Are they receptive to what you're saying? So creating that environment is probably the biggest, um, the biggest benefit. So if you speak to a room of a thousand people, you should likely do the research to know why are they there. Mm-hmm. If it's a company event and they all have to be there, or if it's a board meeting and all the management staff has to be there, maybe respecting the audience of time That's a big factor because they didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. You now have to acknowledge that your speech or your talk is there to give value to them in the time they didn't want to spend in that room. Mm-hmm. So that kind of opens up the environment, like opens up the uh, comfort level. And then in regards to how you say it and what you say, that's the next factor that gets them to sit forward. And as a speaker, you can tell by either people sitting back or by people leaning forward or even by a grin on their face. Mm-hmm. And when you see someone grin or a smile because they have some enjoyment, 
grab that energy and maybe even point them out and saying, I can see that some of you and point with an open hand, not one finger, right? <laughs> open hand. I would say, I can see that some of you are enjoying this. I can see that this is having an impact. I can see that some of you are listening and some of you may not. Mm-hmm. And then people are, what that does is creates a little bit of conflict, but also awareness. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, I'm checking out because I'm distracted or I'm checking out because this isn't interesting. Mm-hmm. She just called me out on it. You now have got their attention for a little bit longer. Now I'm a little bit more participating as well, right? Because I feel, again, that acknowledgement of the speaker that I am there in the room and that yeah. I'm not just speaking against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I really like that. So the first thing, so I'm just kind of trying to summarize it in my head. So the first thing, of course, is to know who do you speak to, right? Who is yeah. your audience? And is the audience coming on a voluntary basis or is it a company event and they have to be there? True. And um, then the second thing, which I really love that you said that, and I want to kind of give an example on that as well, is that you want to acknowledge the audience, especially if they are if they have to be there, right? So mm-hmm. you coached me in November for a big um, training that I had in early December. And yeah. you said that to me and I was like, oh, that's so powerful. I've never really thought about like really acknowledging the audience. And especially because I went into a company, gave a stress management training to around 150 people. Um, they, they, had to, they kind of had to be there, right? It was kind of expected of mm-hmm. them and it was early December. So they had a lot of things to do and taking an hour out of their calendar was a big ask for them. So when I came in and I started my training by acknowledging them and saying, hey, thank you so much for taking the time out of your calendar. I know that you're super busy. I know that there's only two more weeks before um, Christmas vacation starts and you're all going to go on vacation. I really appreciate all of you that are here today, it was incredible, like how people were just kind of sitting in the audience, nodding their heads um, and leaning forward and being like, oh, okay, hey, like she really, she really knows what we're going through. She really acknowledges and appreciates that we are here. So now I'm going to listen what she has to tell me. Yeah. It just changes the energy in the room. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. That was really awesome. Okay. So now that I know which audience I speak to, Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge them, you know, either, and I could also acknowledge them, right, if they're coming for on a voluntary basis, because if, they, let's say, you know, they don't have to be at that event, but they chose to be at that event, you could acknowledge that as well, right, and be, hey, like, you're here because, for example, you want to invest in your own personal development, you want to yeah. develop yourself, you want to be better than others, and you have made that choice. So that's a big acknowledgement as well, mm-hmm. right? What's next? The sex is what you say. So from the very beginning, there's different studies that point out that you only have less than 10 seconds to grab someone's attention in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And that goes into what message or what way can I relate to them so quickly that they believe that I'm the one that's going to tell them something that's going to change their life or be a product or a business they want to invest in or an idea that they follow or commit to. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of the difficult part where you have to work with somebody or I've been working with someone one-on-one to know what do they have? What do they want? And then who is the audience they talk to? All mm-hmm. right. You have this sort of knowledge and expertise. Now mm-hmm. who is that audience? And then how do we most relatably on regards to the psychographics of the motive of that person? Mm-hmm. What's driving people? What's driving your manager to say, yes, we'll go a versus down. We're going to go with idea project a, B or C or team a, B or C, or mm-hmm. we're going to go with the audience that, it listens to a lot of people that have a lot of value to give to the world and they choose to be your client. Mm-hmm. That's the factor or the idea is you have to relate to them. 
it goes back to the beginning of knowing your audience, it then goes into how do I speak their language? How do I convey a message that relates to where they're at and exactly where, like who they are right now, but also helps them envision where they want to go? Because mm-hmm. there's off of self-determination theory, it's kind of a general philosophy on people like inherently have a motive to do better. Mm-hmm. But you as a facilitator of that, whether you manage a team or coach people one-on-one, is to drive that desire to improve. And unless you're coaxing them and coaxing as in like not holding hands, but really guiding them and their body and their mind and the motive to where you have a common objective. It's like, yes, I see this. I can see it. I think we can do it. Mm -hmm. If you believe, I believe. Mm -hmm. And now it's a a team goal to achieve that. Mm -hmm. I think that's what really good speakers do is they help people acknowledge where they're at and then where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And then tell them that I'm the one who's going to tell you that in the next 90 minutes or the next 30 seconds that I have with your time. Yeah. More than 30 seconds. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 90 minutes or 30. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, and I think it's, it's almost about like really disclosing the gap, right? Like you said, like, where are they right now and where do they want to be? Like, what are the people that are sitting in my audience? What are they struggling with? Or what, yeah. what do they, um, what would they like to improve on? And then um, where would they like to be and create almost like that picture or that fantasy of like, who would I be if I would be there? Right. And then, you know, be present yourself as the expert of like, I will help you bridge that gap. I think that's really powerful. So I, I made kind of designer made up this theory while raising money for a hedge fund. My first, it was my first career move after college is that you have to know who you're talking to and then you have to know what they want. And that's what we're talking about in regards to like acknowledge who they are right now and then acknowledge what's going to get them to be determined and motivated to go where we can see this both going either in the relationship, the project or within mm-hmm. their own development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And um, the next thing that you say is that when we are presenting um, and speaking, it's really a performance um, yeah. and how do, how do we get better at performing? Because I think there are some people that are just natural performers and then there are some people that might be really stressed out and uncomfortable about speaking in front of, you know, a larger group of people or just even a smaller group of people. I think it's, it's probably based on the personality type, but with movement, we become more human. We become more relaxed. Mm-hmm. So too much movement, of course, is too much. You don't want to see you pacing across the the presentation backdrop. It's more stepping into the stage presence. Mm -hmm. So they want to know that you're there. They want to know that your body is moving. You feel, I'm trying to open open up on the screen for those who are watching on YouTube. When you tell a story, you can have character A, and then you have a whole other way of going back to character B. Mm-hmm. You can do that with the changing of your hands of story A, close the story B. Mm-hmm. And you can do the movement just when you're behind a podium or when you're giving a presentation, you don't have much space to move. Your hands are there to just tell a story, just as though Shakespeare would say, oh, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's giving them something to be stimulated across. So when you give a really good talk or if you hear someone give a great speech, it's because they're touching all of your sensory system. You mm-hmm. can hear them. You can feel them. You can see them. Mm-hmm. And unless they have fluctuation in their voice, you can't really tell they're moving. And there's the difference between giving a talk about a dream or giving a talk about a plan. Mm-hmm. People today can still hear and feel 
Martin Luther King's speech due to the fluctuation in his voice behind the podium. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, his movement. And that's, that's what I'm talking about in regards to getting a performance on stage is having that fluctuation in your voice to be conveying a message of impact, but also feeling mm-hmm. and changing the emphasis of certain things that allow people to feel what they do want because we can have so much more or what they don't want and how we don't really like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so what can people do to get there? Because I feel like there, there's definitely going to be some people that are listening that are like, I'm really not good at that. <laughs> um, how, how do we get, or how do you as a speaking coach get people there where they are more comfortable and they have a better stage presence, for example? Well, they say like we are, we ourselves are our biggest critics. Mm-hmm. And there's so many times where we step into a room and everybody there has got a, I guess, a bigger income or a bigger title or may affect your job, your position, or tell you that your idea or company is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It then goes into realizing that you're going there because you believe. Mm-hmm. You're going there because you know what you're talking about. And that's building up confidence is kind of the biggest factor. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing a shirt my sister got me. Uh, and I saw it up. I had to stop a woman as she was walking down the, the downtown Boise. We stopped her. And my sister's like, you're so weird. And I was like, no, I have to talk to her. I said, where did you get your hoodie? <laughs> and her hoodie had this saying with a lion on it. It said, uh, lions don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. Mm. And I was like, Phew. and this is not to say that everyone is sheep, but it goes back to, wow, when you think about what opinions am I going to let affect me? Mm-hmm. You realize that, oh, wow, this, <laughs> I say, wow, twice. Because it is, it's a big, profound idea that you're going to let this one person tell you that you're bad or that you're good or that, your company's not worth investing in or your project or you did a bad job. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're one person. You may be my manager, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to let my effort lose sleep over your opinion. Uh, there was another talk on the impact theory. I love this. We all know of FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Someone shared FOPO, which is fear of other people's opinion. Mm. And that stayed with me. And I was like, okay. That yeah, so really like, I told her, I was like, Summer, I want that shirt. So Christmas, I got the shirt. I'm wearing it now, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Very nice. But we can't see it because you're wearing a sweater on top. Okay, well, here, let's try it out. Yeah, show us, show us the T-shirt. Lions Can you read don't it? lose sleep over opinions of sheep. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> very cool. That's, <laughs> That's really cool. And I think the other one, so building confidence is obviously a really big factor. And I think also confidence comes with practice, right? Yeah. So the more I speak in front of people and the more I, you know, probably people are receptive to me as well, the more I'm a little bit more confident on the one hand. And, but on the other hand, I think you made a really, really important point of that. Do I believe in what I'm talking about? Because if I talk about something that I really believe in, it's going to be conveyed very, very differently than if I talk about something because somebody maybe asked me to, to talk about it, but maybe I'm not really believing in it. So checking in with yourself and being really clear on, hey, do I really believe in that? Like, or how can I spin it in a way that I really like believe in it and I can bring it across in a really you know, in a way that is very, um, what's the right saying? Um, like being very con- like convincing, convincing to other people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, is, is that right? Um, how can I bring that across? And one of the things that we've been doing is, is practicing, yeah. right? So like 
you know, thinking about how do I bridge the gap? Like what, you know, how do I engage the audience, all these different things. And then I, you know, I stood at home and I practiced by myself um, to talk, to talk in this way. And then also, I think one of the things that you said to me as well is that I could, for example, record myself um, and watch that video. And I think what a lot of people forget and what a lot of people don't think about is that the best speakers out there they have probably practiced that speech 30, oh, yeah. 40, 50 times. They're not just going on stage and they're perfect at it, right? They, they have practiced it. Yeah. What you, you said, Tony Robbins gives his, uh, I went to a conference this last year, which is like Unleash the Power Within. Mm-hmm. And I think he's been giving that same talk. It probably has some changes for the last 10 years. And he gives it like, I'll call it five times a year. But he practices before he does it. He gets himself in this peak state that he, uh, reminds people to get into before they do something and then he gives a talk over and over and over again mm-hmm. because he's refined it back and when you give a talk one time you can see the impact it had the emphasis that was made how mm-hmm. people felt so in the document that i've shared with julia to share with her audience it talks about there's a couple of questions on the, the kind of a q a to work help yourself get through these uh to use these tools mm-hmm. one is how do you want your audience to feel Two is how, what do you want your audience to remember? Because that's, that's the biggest factor is when you leave, what are they thinking about? Yeah. And that's something to think about before you give a talk or before you give a presentation is to acknowledge that the people have to listen to you mm-hmm. and they're either going to appreciate it or forget it or not want to remember it. And you have to acknowledge that their feelings have, are the factor that you have to kind of mold and work with. Yeah. I like that as well, again, that you said, what is your goal? Because there might be different goals, right? And I'm just kind of thinking about it while we're speaking through it is that, you know, my goal might be to convince people to be better managing stress, right? Or yeah. but for another person that works in a corporate context, their goal is to convince the leadership team to, for example, invest headcount and resources mm-hmm. into a project that they've been working on, right? Um, so being very specific um, and maybe even calling that out, is, is that a good strategy to say, hey, um, yeah. if I'm speaking in front of 10 people that I want to convince about something to say, this is my goal that I want to get you to? Is, is that something very so transparent a, and open to do that? There's a, call it a speaking phrase of tell them what you're going to tell them and then tell them that. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really helpful when you have to sit in a room or hear a presentation or I use it because I've been raising money for invest, like pr- different companies. They know that you're there to tell them why they should invest in your company. Maybe cl- disclosing it is like and acknowledging that. Thank you for being here. I am here to ask for a series of like uh, for your investment capital in this company. Mm-hmm. I am going to tell you why though, why you should invest. And now they're aware. Like, oh, okay. I knew you were going to pitch me. You've acknowledged you're going to pitch me. Now mm-hmm. pitch me. Like, mm-hmm. give it to me straight. Go. Mm-hmm. And then when you're giving a talk or a leadership or you're talking to your management, my objective today is to tell you why you should be investing in more uh, resources for this project or more capital into our staff or partners that we, that's the conversation that they're now preparing themselves for. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways to do this is you're priming their brain to absorb in the direction you want them to go. Mm-hmm. Without it, you don't know what their last meeting was. Maybe they're still in the mindset of that last meeting. Mm-hmm. Until you give them a little time to tell them what way to start thinking, and you're also telling them why they should be investing or why they should be focused on listening, 
their brain then has to receive that and say, okay, this is what I'm doing versus I'm on my phone, I'm on my computer, I'm thinking about uh, the past or the future. I'm not being present. So creating presence is probably the biggest influence on getting people to listen. Mm. And I like that strategy as well, especially in the corporate context when we don't have a lot of time, right? People know that, um, especially leadership teams, they are in back-to-back -back every 30 minutes meetings. Yeah. Um, every, every, every 30 minutes, they have to completely switch maybe topics even. So like preparing them, telling them what they're going to hear about and why they are in that meeting, I think is also a really great way to, to, to kind of get their attention, right? And to, to make sure that everybody's present now for that specific topic. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in meetings, the ones that have been there like back to back, it goes back to managing energy. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you happen to have water or snacks there and you have the time, you can even suggest for the audience when they first come in, there's like, obviously it's the middle of the day or the end of the day. Some of us are tired. We have brought snacks. If mm -hmm. we need to, we can take a few minutes to prepare because what I'm about to say is very important and I'd like you to be here fully. Mm. I like that a lot. And that's just a respect of their energy. Mm -hmm. And if they say, no, 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 we're good. They've now just committed verbally to you that they're going to be present. Mm -hmm. And now you have their attention. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, it's the managing the energy in the room and then managing where their attention goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, it comes back to the acknowledgement that we already talked about as well, right? Yeah. Because I acknowledge that they've maybe been in those meetings all day long and it's four o'clock in the afternoon and here we are They have to listen to me now. So yeah. So I really love that. Um, Speaking with integrity and influence, tell us a little bit about that topic. So the work they've been doing in education, there's a lot of talk around the intention versus the impact. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about your integrity, it's, there's a lot of self-awareness that has to go into acknowledging this is who I am, this is what I feel, and this is what I have to sell, this is what I have to say, this is where I'm going. Mm -hmm. The question is, with the... Uh, ethical influence tools I've shared on the download as well, is there's six researched points in regards to reciprocity and consensus and creating liking and creating scarcity and authority. And these are psychologically studied motives of people. Mm -hmm. Now to use them ethically is to ask, is there a benefit for both parties or is there a benefit solely for me? I think that's the difference between manipulation of psychological understanding versus persuasion. Because mm -hmm. if I can help you see something that would also help you, It's not manipulation. But if I can sell you something that only benefits me or that you don't really need, that could be seen as manipulation. Mm -hmm. Well, as more and more information is created and research is out there and people have the opportunity to learn as much as they want and use it however they want, there's the question of what's my integrity? What do my morals tell me is right and wrong? Uh, my big conflict openly is if I accept a job, I've, if I accept to work with another company and be full-time with them, Do I believe in the industry we're involved with? Mm -hmm. like, if I sell security systems, I'm saying that I believe that the world is, should be fearful of people committing crimes. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. I, have an, I have an interview, but I, 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 can't, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't accept it mm -hmm. because I don't believe in the, with the industry that they're promoting. They're promoting this fear. They're promoting this, this hold everything you own together. Guess what? If someone steals your laptop, you should have a backup. <laughs> Or go get a new laptop. And it, it's hard because what do you believe in? And that goes back to this whole ethics piece. Mm -hmm. Can you um, say that again, those six, um, you know, those six basically things oh, yeah. that, that we should be looking at because I really like them and I really love that you have that in the PDF for our listeners as well. 
Uh, in regards to establishing an ethical influence off of Richard Caldini's research on persuasive psychology, it goes across these six. First, reciprocity. Uh, I give, the, I give, therefore I get. Scarcity, there's not enough. Authority, I have control. Consistency, and I'm doing this over and over again. Liking, uh, was it Zig Ziglar? One of the philosophers said, People only do business with people they know, like, and trust. So you have to create that liking, and typically very in the beginning. And then consensus, where people are social creatures, and we only like to do things that other people are doing. Mm-hmm. So if you, can, if you can find, or if you can express that other people have bought in, other people are likely to see the benefit as well. Mm-hmm. So quickly, reciprocation, scarcity, authority, consistency, liking, and consensus. Mm-hmm. And those six models are really important to actually integrate into your into your speech or into your presentation, right? Because I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, because we want people to buy into our idea um in in an optimal in an you know, optimal environment <laughs> because mm-hmm. we believe in the message that we are transmitting. Um and I really love that last part that consensus um because that's something that you have taught me really well um about how do I get consensus when I'm speaking to a hundred, hundred and fifty people in the room and how do I how do I portray that? So let's talk a little bit about consensus and getting your audience to speak. Yeah. It's Going back to the sensory system, we want them to hear us, we want them to feel us, we want them to see us, mm-hmm. and then we have to get them to touch. And like whether they touch themselves or they touch a piece of paper, I think uh, learning is a it's a con- like an impact sport. Like you got to make impact, you got to touch it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, it's, learning is a contact sport, is what I meant. No, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where if you're creating consensus, asking the audience or asking the room to nod their head or to write something down or to raise their hands gets them physically involved. And off of how people learn when they remember something, when they say something, when they write it down, when they're moving their body, there's now an experience. Mm-hmm. And as a speaker or a presenter, you're looking to create an experience in the, the body of the person who has to hear it. So while you're there, obviously their objective is to listen to you, but your objective is to have them remember you. Mm-hmm. And I think the only way to do that is to have them feel or experience something by writing it down, raising their hand, or an- answering or questioning you. Mm-hmm. But know that so many people, and I've been, uh, I guess, com- complimented at different events because I can ask questions. Mm-hmm. The difference is the speakers have asked the audience to ask a question. No one else will. I will, because like, I have re- reference or relation to that topic. And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, I wanted to ask a question, but I, I didn't know how to phrase it the way you did. It was such a great question. Thank you for asking that. You're related to so many of us. And that's a disservice that the speaker didn't acknowledge that this might be a question that the audience members had. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great good friend is also a sleep coach, Kelly Benson. She would always create presentations and have presentations or slides to questions that she assumed would be asked. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the presentation, do you have any questions about my company idea or vision? She would ask a question. She would have a slide. She would have a slide associated to that. Mm-hmm. And that assumptive or that uh, future or forethought was so fascinating to see as an as a investor or as, uh, an audience member. You're like, wow, she's really paying attention to what I might need right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's the next piece is 
what are they going to want to know? And then how can I give that to them, even if they don't ask? Mm -hmm. How important do you think is that? Because again, I'm thinking, and I love that you asked me that question because it really kept me thinking the whole time we were having this conversation is if I if we, if people are listening in the context of I'm working for a company and I'm giving a presentation to a leadership team, it's just 10 or 15 people, you know, it's like part of my job, but um, I have to create consensus. But I feel a little bit silly to like, you know, ask people to raise their hands because there's all these leaders and And maybe I am an individual contributor and the, those leaders are like, you know, five levels over me or above me. And I, I feel maybe a little bit intimidated by that. Do you have okay. a couple of tips of, you know, how can people either think about it differently or what they can do differently in order to still get consensus and get the listeners to experience something? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think within a company, it's also, you have to be aware of what's the company culture. Will there be, will you be offending somebody if you directly associate your project to their, to their field or to their department? Mm -hmm. uh, and if they're not asking questions, if they're not paying attention, you have to ask, are they not listening or do they really not know? Mm -hmm. But if you have to get buy-in from a certain number of people, I think it's very beneficial to, call them out or call it another phrase, acknowledge them and say, uh, Bob, you're the head of HR and my project is asking us to hire more people. Do you see any impact it's going to have on our current people or is there concern about a budget? Mm. And if he, then there may be, so there's off the way you ask questions, I, I gave a bad example because I asked two different areas. And if for people to think you have to simplify it really easily, you say, Bob, you're the head of HR. And I'm asking us to hire more people for this, for this project to be completed on time. Are you concerned in any way about the impact it'll have on our current employees? And if he says no, you then say, is there any concern about hiring new people because of the lack of budget? And they'll say, well, that's above your pay grade. It's not really that answer, but no, we're good. We can hire more people. You just got the answer you're looking for. Bob, as the head of HR, just said he's happy to hire more people for the project, and he's not worried about the impact it'll have on the current employees. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. You just got the answer you wanted because you asked for it, but you, you walked Bob down the train of thought of acknowledging the two issues, things that might be an issue, budget mm -hmm. and impact. Mm -hmm. And I think a really smart way to, to get to like what might Bob be concerned about is to maybe take Bob to the side before the speech or yeah. before the presentation and be like, hey, Bob, we're talking about this today. What are your biggest concerns? You know? And then you can even relate to that and be like, hey, Bob, like we talked about this before we started the meeting today. And you told me that those are the two biggest concerns. After you've seen all of my research and the data that I've presented, is that still a concern to you now? You know, or something Love that. Like that. Yeah. Because yeah. we have to acknowledge who we're talking to and what they may want. So when you mm -hmm. can also acknowledge what concerns they may have, you can design your presentation. So for all the companies and teams that I've helped pitch, it's what are they looking for? Mm -hmm. uh, my mom gave me the simplest philosophy because, Corey, your dad says no to everything because you haven't got him to say yes. It's like, okay, but how do I get him to say yes? So she's like, you have to acknowledge what he's concerned about. He wants to know where you're going, who you'll be with. Will there be an adult there? Will you be safe? Mm -hmm. I was like, he doesn't care about my safety. She's like, he doesn't, he's never told you he cares about your safety. But when he sits in bed or he comes home and he talks to me, he goes, is Corey okay? Where is he? Mm -hmm. 
he doesn't, you don't, you don't know that, but he, this is what he cares about. She gave me this like insider trading kind of knowledge of how to manipulate mm-hmm. my dad <laughs> or persuade, <laughs> sorry, sorry, persuade my dad. So instead of yeah. saying, dad, can I go to the party? I would say, dad, uh, I'm going to, I'd like to hang out with Travis. We're going to go here. We're going to be at so-and-so's house. And this is who his parents will be there. I have a safe ride home. I'll be home at 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a question because mm-hmm. I already answered everything he already wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point as well. And uh, do you have a speaker that you follow that you find super inspiring and that you still learn a lot from? Mm. I think the best speaker for conferences and seminars has been Brendan Richard. Okay. His integrity and how authentically he speaks and the consistency of his message on regards to high performance and personal development and acknowledging like positive and healthy habits. Uh, I, th- I thought he was the most authentic speaker I've ever heard. So I, I oh. guess I'd, I'm happy to learn from him. Huh. Very cool. And um, last question, because we are always talking about, you know, performing better and reducing stress. Um, if somebody's very stressed um, yeah. going into a presentation, what, what are the tools that you give your clients to better manage that? This is a, a kind of managing peak state in regards to closing your eyes and getting yourself into a calmness, but also an awareness. Like, okay, I'm going on stage. I'm ready to go on stage. This is my audience. This is my talk. I know my message. And kind of a meditative practice, but acknowledging where you're at and allowing yourself to be there. Because there's so many times where we allow uh, out external factors, like where we have to go after the talk or where we have to do or who we have to see or Mm-hmm. What if the audience is loud or why aren't there more people in the seats mm-hmm. is you have a job to do you have, and you're there. because like you were asked to be there or you're stepping on that stage because you a week or two or a month ago, you thought you would be ready for it. Mm-hmm. You then have to tell yourself that you are and allow that to be the final answer. I'm ready. I'm going on stage. Mm-hmm. I'm giving the presentation. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so true that we're so often this, distracted because there's so many other things going on and all these other thoughts are coming onto our minds, right? Not a lot of people are there or the right people are there or have I prepared enough or what, who do I need to talk to after this? Like we are getting distracted by all these past and future moments that we forget to be in that moment and to just, and I feel like also enjoy that moment. And um, it's almost like, you know, all that hard work that you've been doing, all those maybe, you know, all that research that you've done, all the data that you have collected, now is your time to actually present how much work you've been doing and show people that. And I think one of the things that, that I like that really helped me are two things. The first thing is practice. I think cool. that's something that I have never done in the corporate context, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe once or so, but like really sitting down and really talking through my presentation or through my speech over and over and over again i have i had not done that before but since now i'm hired as a speaker um i I am doing that because i obviously want to be super um convincing and memorable and all the different things and now that i'm doing that i can't believe i've never practiced before because (laughs) it's given me so much like it's giving me so many so much confidence I'm still nervous when I'm speaking in front of 300 people, right? But yeah. I'm nervous, but at the same time, I know I know exactly what I'm going to talk about. I know my slides. I know, my, you know, I know the people that mm-hmm. are sitting in front of me. And that's been so powerful. So people that are listening now and that are like, I've never really practiced, 
I would just really, really highly recommend that. I think that's the one thing. And in order to build your confidence, the other thing, and actually funny that you mentioned Kelly Benson, because I think Kelly has definitely said that to me as well, is that the people that are in the room know not as much as you do. You, you are the expert. No matter, yeah. no matter how much you know, you will probably know more than, than the people in the room. So, so bring that across, bring that confidence across and remember mm. that, that you are the expert and yet they have hired you on to talk about something important. And I think that gives also that confidence boost of like, yeah, you know, there, there might be some critics and there might be some people that don't like you, which that's always the case, right? There's always people that will listen to you and that um, just, you know, feel triggered for some reason or another. Yeah. But yeah, like having your own confidence and being comfortable with yourself, I think is so important. And that takes a lot of work. Regards it takes to your, a lot of work, yeah. For your professional development <laughs> to expand, you have to do the personal work. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of people a lot of time regards to years before they start working on themselves mm-hmm. and, yeah. yeah and it's a shame we should all have started with that way earlier <laughs> and yeah. i'm glad that personal development is becoming so big nowadays and um tell us a little bit about the pdf that you have prepared for the listeners so if people want to learn more about you um, and for people that mm-hmm. want to be better at speaking what what have you prepared for us so the title of the pdf is stage uh, stage and speech presence Mm -hmm. where you're going to go through a series of little questions and tools that are going to help you design and envision what your presence and what you're going to be able to do on stage regards to how your audience will feel the key points you're going to share what stories relate to the key points and then regards to your credibility your vulnerability and your turning point and those principles are, are really related to why they should listen to you how they can relate to you with associated vulnerability and then what they can learn from you in regards to that turning point. Like what got you to do something they haven't done yet? Or what's, what have you done that they haven't yet? Or what, what do you know that would benefit them? And that's that turning point or that, that, that acknowledgement. And then there, again, there's a reminder from Robert Caldini's uh, psychological research on the uh, ethical influence with those six principles. Of course, my contact information is on there and I would love for everybody just to reach out, tell me what you're doing, where you want to go and however I can help you. And I look forward to it. Julia, thank you again for having me. Thank you. Corey, um, there's a few more questions I want to ask you. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) I took took that question just um, ahead because I really wanted to make sure that we're talking about the PDF because you have prepared that for the listeners. And I think that's really awesome. So thank you for that. So just to... uh, to, to close that up, yes, if people are interested to work with you, reach out to me, send me an email, and I'll send you Corey's PDF. But I always have a few questions at the end okay. of each podcast that I always ask my podcast listeners. So we have to take a few minutes to answer those. Um, and the very first question is, what are you most grateful for? My brain. Okay. Um, I'm most grateful for my brain. Uh, I survived a, t- a severe traumatic brain injury in 2013. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, really thankful that I can, my brain heals itself. It learns, it retains, it speaks. Uh, six years ago, I had to relearn how to talk. And as a kid who was a chatty Kathy, you definitely, <laughs> it was a concern for me. Then if I can't talk, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So I had to relearn how to speak. And that's why it's so empowering and powerful for me to also share with others how to feel comfortable in their speech. Wow. I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. 
Um, you are, you know, do you have any uh, wisdoms that you live by or what are your three most important wisdoms that um, are kind of keeping you alive and bringing you mm. through life and difficult situations as well? Uh, I think <laughs> take some time to think about these wisdoms. I think it's a helpful way to also sound wise when you pause. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe the world's abundant. There's always, always enough. Mm -hmm. um, try and go get people into this like growth mindset where it's not living off of scarcity and fear. We have everything. Mm -hmm. uh, that knowing and doing are very different. Uh, so learn how to do and use what you know. Mm -hmm. That we don't all have to live in the box we were born in. It goes back to personal development and acknowledging, okay, this is the environment in, this is the environment I'm in, this is the people I'm surrounding myself with, this is where I live, do I like it? And if you don't, know that you can change that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. Thanks for sharing those with us. And um, is there any books that have changed your life or any books that you've read maybe over and over again because you think they're so powerful and you always find a new, new piece of wisdom out of them? Yeah. Uh, Hal Elrod, and he's a speaker uh, along with a very influential guy on the, his concept of the miracle morning. Mm -hmm. The miracle morning, he has his savers. Uh, <laughs> and savers is an acronym for silence affirmation visualization exercise reading and scribing uh, mm. and i've implemented those as practices every more like for periods of my life and my commitment to you guys is i will start using them as well Great. i know the benefit of it but the miracle morning by hal Elrod is a very healthy positive book i'm nice. getting a good morning routine okay anything else oh in regards to books and things that have inspired me hmm? um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl was the Holocaust survivor and uh, psychologist during his era. It's a, it's a, the concept is tough to hear, but one of the big points of the book is to teach people that you have to have this search, this, this desire to do more. No matter what your experience or environment you're in, whether it be positive or negative or prison or work, mm -hmm. it's that there's got to be meaning. And the saddest thing to see is people die while they're still alive. Mm. or if you see someone lose motivation and they just they're just going with the, the they're just following they lose their excitement they lose their drive yeah it's a it's a sad thing yeah it is a sad thing and i i think about that as a toxic goal i had a really interesting uh, podcast guest a couple of months ago ryan munsey okay. uh, he's an author and he talks about toxic goals and that reminds me of that because sometimes we just have goals because other people have those goals and because we're comparing um us yeah. to other people but it's not really our goal and you know and then we obviously don't find really meaning in that and then it's hard to achieve that goal and you know it's just kind of that that negative spiral then um that you know makes us maybe a miserable person and we don't really know why um but you know it's it's we can go back to the point and be very simple and ask what is my goal like what do yeah. i want to achieve and where do i find meaning I think that goes back to when you asked about the wisdoms of knowing and doing. Mm -hmm. like, there are, to, of course, today, and these, a lot of these philosophies for personal development go back to Socrates and Aristotle, just views on the world mm -hmm. that we have to ask ourselves. The trouble is it's very hard to ask yourself a question that you've never been asked before. 
So you, you go through, you have a coach, you have these podcasts and videos you can watch online to expose you to these new views of thinking. And unless you change the way you're thinking, you're going to live, continue to think the same thing. So you have to ask yourself these questions and figure out what can I be doing? What can I, how can I feel better? All right, I can try this. I can do this. And then you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest gap between knowing and the biggest gap in life is between knowing and doing. I, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for answering these questions. Um, I think, so we talked about the three big things that I always ask and mm -hmm. we talked about the PDF and maybe just one more time, how can people reach out to you if they are interested in learning more about you or even working with you one-to-one -one on their speaking skills? Yeah, I'd appreciate it so much. Uh, my email is speaker at gmail.com. And that's C-O-R-Y-J as in Johnson and Corey J speaker at gmail.com. Uh, Instagram is Corey J period CO. Uh, have you ever seen my Corey J company? Yeah. I have to brand myself. <laughs> yeah. So Corey J dot CO. Nice. Uh, and then of course, there the downloads and following Julia and connecting with her. It's a great yeah. way to get a hold of me as well. Uh, Corey J speaker is what I'm going as. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corey. It was such a pleasure to have you. I am so excited that our paths have crossed and that I got the chance to be coached by you and make my speaking um, stronger and more confident. So thank you for that as well. And I wish you all the best for 2020. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you got value out of the time we've had and I look forward to adding more value to more people. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be extremely happy and grateful if you could leave me a comment and a five-star rating. If you know someone who would benefit from the information I talked about today, please feel free to share it with them, no matter if it is your friends, your colleagues and or your family members. You will always find all links and a summary of the podcast in the show notes. It would be great if we could connect on Instagram or via email. You can find all details of how to find me in the show notes as well. In that way, you can also send me any questions that you might have. And as I mentioned, I also have a wonderful YouTube channel now where you can post comments and questions. So please reach out. I'm glad you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for your trust. With gratitude, Julia. <laughs>